0: Welcome back to the Kyle Style Podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. I've got a fun story for you tonight. Today. Well, whenever you're listening to it, really. It's the story of the Ash Street Shootout. Now, uh, the Ash Street Shootout occurred, uh, well, on the night of September 23rd, 1989. Why am I trying to tell you a story from almost 30 years ago? Well, the story centers around a army ranger, a staff sergeant, who lived at 2319 South Ash Street. And quite possibly changed the course of at least the history of one neighborhood. And quite possibly, with your help in understanding the magnitude of this story, changed history in, a, in an even broader sense. Now the Ash Street shootout involved Army Rangers. That's like Army Special Forces having a gun battle with the Hilltop Crips. So Army Rangers versus gangbangers. And a friend of mine gave me this story a while back, and he had some you know uh, association with family and everything that were in the military, and he pointed the story out to me. And it's like it's a really great story. I'm definitely going to include the links, read the original source material that I'm kind of pulling it from. It, it has its own tone that's maybe separate from mine, but uh, it's, it's a really great story. And I hope you uh, take from it what I took from it as well. So again, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you feel like contributing to the Kyle style podcast, go over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle style design web store and get you some merch with some of my original artwork on it. Uh, otherwise head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a dollar, throw me $5, whatever. And, uh, help contribute to the podcast that way. So thanks for listening. And here we go with the story of the Ash street shootout. Staff Sergeant Bill Folk bought his house on Ash Street in 1987 on the southern border of the Tacoma neighborhood known as Hilltop. Vacant and abandoned for 12 years, it was the worst house on the block. Folk purchased it for $10,000 and set out to make it livable. A Staff Sergeant with the Army Rangers 2nd Battalion, he was 32 years old, and ready to settle down. By 1989, Folk had frequently been away from home for training and military maneuvers. Each time he returned home, the neighborhood had changed. From the steps of his home, he watched people purchase drugs from a yellow house across the street. I used to sit on the porch instead of watch TV, he said. It was like a scene from a bad B movie worse than anything you can imagine. The yellow house in question was twenty-three twenty-eight Ash Street, which was the home of Marco Mark Marco Simmons, who was the top dog he ran the block, uh, and what was essentially an open air drug market. A neighbor at twenty three sixty Ash Street, Shirley Luckett and a thirty three year old mother, Described how her children were just completely unsafe, simply riding their bike to the store or wearing a red shirt, as in Bloods and Crips and red and blue. Luckett identified the activity at 23:28 and began taking down license plate numbers and calling police in an effort to curtail all the drug and gang activity. Due to budget constraints, police chief Fietland. Fietland, was unable to stem the tide, and even had to pull patrol officers from the hilltop uh, neighborhood, you know, due to the budget constraints local news media began covering the story and the citizen efforts to police their own neighborhood this brought a lot of attention and the gang scaled back their drug operations as a result this gang later identified as the Hilltop Crips, apparently according to Bill Folk scaled back their operations such that on a normal day, he would see around 100 cars pull up in front of the house and, you know, engage in drug deals. After the citizen action, it reduced down to 20. That really pissed them off, according to Folk. Folk had also installed a video camera in an upstairs room facing 2328 Ash Street. Folk organized a neighborhood barbecue in order to unite the neighborhood and show solidarity. Scheduled for 3 p.m. Saturday, September 23rd, he invited the whole neighborhood, friends, as well as some of his fellow army rangers, and he suggested that they come armed. During the barbecue, cars driven by gang members would drive slowly by, pointing their fingers like guns and mouthing the sound, boom, boom the jerk of the wrist, what they called Gunfinger. Associates at the uh, yellow drug house threw rocks, rotten fruit, and even shot a BB gun at the camera in the upper window. Folk and a few of his fellow rangers crossed the street to confront the group, who amounted mostly to what you could call kids, late teens, and early 20s. Marco Simmons, the ringleader, was only 20 years old. Folk instructed them to cease and desist with their harassing behavior. The gangsters demanded Folk remove the video camera. Stop doing wrong, Folk replied. The gangsters told Folk that he didn't know who he was dealing with. Folk, age 32, married, and a Special Forces combat veteran is said to have replied, You don't know who you are dealing with. You're history, bitch, one replied followed by threats that his house would be burned down and they would light him up after dark. Folk walked away as the gangsters continued to hurl insults and threats. I'm going to shoot that Army SOB was overheard. Taking these threats seriously, Folk contacted more rangers to come, again instructing them to bring personal weapons. Folk also contacted the News Tribune reporter Dan Volpool and photographer Russ Carmack to document the events. Now, the rangers' plan was simple. Take up positions in cover around Folk's house and wait. They were not to fire first and to disarm immediately if police arrived. Our intent was to not allow them to advance on us, Folk was quoted as saying. We knew there was the potential to get ugly. We decided we were going to stand our ground and not be pushed out. Calling on his friends from the from his battalion, they brought their own weapons—semi-automatic rifles, handguns, and shotguns—all legally owned—and had neighbors send their their children to uh, you know somewhere else, somewhere to be safe. They drew up a plan using some of their army tactics, folk uh, you know delineated between the friendlies, his neighbors' homes, and you know the allies in the neighborhood and the enemy, the drug dealer's house. Don't shoot anybody if you don't have to, he told his rangers. Now surely Laquette had sent her children away to, uh, you know, to a friend's house. Even she was armed with a 9 millimeter pistol. As night fell, a shot was fired in the air from a passing car. Folk and his rangers turned out the house and yard lights and waited. On the night of September 23rd, 1989, the opening shots came at 9.20pm, according to multiple witnesses. A Tacoma Police Department report states, Shots were heard and seen coming from the west side of the house. Small caliber automatic gunfire was also heard. Russ Carmack, the photographer, described the opening shots. All of a sudden I hear a bang from across the street. Then it's Boom, boom, boom. I hunkered down by this piece of wood among the cars. The bullets were whizzing past over my head. I've never been on the receiving end of the sound before. The zinging. Ranger William Edwards was in position on the front porch. He dove to the ground as rounds slammed into the front of the house. The Rangers returned fire at figures ducking and dodging among parked cars across the street. They were under attack by fifteen to twenty members of the Hilltop Crips. More shots came in on the east side of the house. Ranger Russell Nolte crawled the cover as shots flew by mere feet over his head. Numerous muzzle flashes and shots began coming in from the east. There were at least three different shooters, according to the Tacoma police. Ranger Burr Settles was upstairs by the window with the video camera as a shot came through the window and showered him with broken glass. The Rangers returned fire again at the gunman taking cover behind parked cars. Shirley Laquette, meanwhile, lay on the floor in the living room With bullets whizzing by It's something I would never want to be in again Because it was frightening, she said She dialed 911 The first police car came down the street Lights and siren blaring Russ Carmack is quoted as saying All of a sudden another round goes off I have never seen smoke come out of a rear set of tires This patrol car backed out, just squealing The officers in the car reported 50 to 60 shots in less than a minute. According to Folk, one gang member attempted to rush the house. I guess he thought he was going to John Wayne it, as Folk put it, and was hit in the shoulder by one of the rangers. Swarms of police began arriving, and the gangsters began fleeing. Police gave chase and were able to detain some of them. With the gunfire tapering off, Folk assessed the situation and came to a wise conclusion. Show yourself do not get shot carrying two pistols a browning nine millimeter and a colt 357 he placed them in a laundry basket in the laundry room and stepped down to the back porch he was shoved down and spread eagle on the ground by a tacoma police officer who's in charge here the officer questioned i guess i am folk replied what the is going on officer bob david was in charge of handling the rangers He was instructed over the radio to seize all of the rangers' weapons as evidence. Knowing he was breaking protocol, David compromised with them, allowing them to give up the lousy ones and keep the high-end stuff. I wasn't going to be the arm to hurt somebody that I knew was innocent. Fighting someone that I knew was guilty, he said. Sergeant Mike Miller, a mid-level commander on the scene, gave the rangers hell for not contacting police before the shooting. He also escalated their actions to... Folk and his company's uh, superior officers. Carmack is reported to have overheard Sergeant Miller saying, I don't see one fucking body over there. I may be ad-libbing, but he was upset that they missed. While the Rangers were getting a talking to at the house, police were engaged in a widespread search through the neighborhood for the gang shooters. Only one clear description had been given, a big beefy kid in a red, white, and blue jacket. Two blocks away, a group of young men were cornered by a police dog. When searched, they were found to be carrying ammunition and guns that they claimed belonged to friends. One of these young men was named Frankie Lee Strickland, a big, beefy kid in a red, white, and blue jacket. A few of the rangers were brought over, and they identified him as one of the assailants. Strickland would end up being the only suspect charged in this incident. In a course of about 10 minutes, 300 shots were fired. Officially, there were no injuries, but rumor had it that the man who was shot attempting to rush the house like John Wayne was treated at a Seattle-area hospital, but this is considered unverified. The police also said that they had confiscated from the Rangers two semi-automatic rifles, one 12-gauge shotgun, and eight semi-automatic handguns, as well as one revolver. Now... The violence doesn't necessarily end here. When day broke on Ash Street, it brought the media and another violent confrontation. Marco Simmons' girlfriend, Renee Hartlett, who was the actual tenant of 2328 Ash Street, the main source of the criminal activity, emerged from her house to find neighbors and media swarming all over. She had avoided danger by staying at her mother's house uh, further down the block. Renee Hartlett, upon seeing Luckett, began shouting and yelling accusations. There is allegedly videotape of this encounter, as Luckett shouted back, What kind of mother are you? What kind of mother are you? Luckett and Hartlett attacked one another, rolling in the street. (laughs) Rolling in the middle of Ash Street. Marco Simmons rushed in and began attacking Luckett. Neighbors joined in attacking Marco Simmons. The brawl grew and moved down the street. The police arrived 27 minutes later. Now according to a New York Times article, Folk has reported as saying, I bought this place two years ago for $10,000 after it was abandoned. We're fixing it up and as far as I'm concerned, the neighborhood is going to be restored to a decent place to live. In an LA Times article, I think what happens now is we go up to Ash Street and clean them out, Police Sergeant Sam Thrall said. We have a real concentration of bad guys there, and the neighborhood has finally clashed with them face to face. The fact that nobody got hurt, it is kind of amazing. Folk spent the next few weeks sleeping fully dressed with a loaded gun, while occasionally having all of his drinks paid for at local pubs by uh, Tacoma Police Department. Hartlett's landlord got in on the action. Fully understanding the actions of the rangers and being in agreement with them, he began an eviction process for Hartlett. Even Renee Hartlett herself understood. I understood, she said. He told me that he didn't want want me to have to move, but they were having meetings and all that stuff, and there was nothing he could do about it. With too many criminal complaints, the city could seize the landlord's property, so she had to go. Now, the media continue to swarm the community with criticism of the police department. According to the Spokesman Review out of Spokane, Washington, the shootout was on the fringe of anarchy, and it represents just the beginning of what will happen in Tacoma and other communities if police don't get substantially better at dealing with drug dealers. These are sorry and frightening times when citizens feel they have to do law enforcement's job because they no longer trust the police to do it. Laquette was present at neighborhood watch meetings where conversation shifted to being about race. She was once again outspoken about this. They tried to make it a black, a black and white thing. It was never that. It was always residents against alleged drug dealers, she remembered. You cannot make that shootout on Ash Street a racist thing because it was not a racist thing. I don't care. If you want to fight alongside to clean up this place... You are my brother. Police began working overtime to patrol the neighborhood to discourage drug and gang activity. So what was the result of all this? You know, one arrest, no injuries, uh, a fight in the street, a little bit of media coverage. But uh, the Seattle Times reported in April of 1998, In retrospect, it was the best thing to happen, said one police officer. It brought attention to the neighborhood that something had to be done. And the neighborhood did respond. They formed, you know, neighborhood watch block groups. Um, and after the shootout, neighborhood groups sprouted all through Hilltop, not just in that little section, where about 15,000 people live in a 163 block area. They started small, sometimes with only a couple people. They watch each other's homes and keep tabs on uh, suspicious activities in the streets. Taking down car license plates, right? Residents began taking charge of their own blocks. It was a key factor before. They felt helpless and crawled into their houses, said uh, Herman Deers of the Hilltop Action Coalition, a nonprofit organization of 76 neighborhood block groups working to reduce crime and clean up the hilltop. Last year, the coalition helped shut down sixty houses that had drug involvement. As for our heroes in the story, Bill Folk would have some unpleasant meetings with uh, his, some of his superiors in the army. He would rise no higher in the, in you know in rank due to his involvement with the shootout. The army viewed his actions as reckless and generating too much interest for the wrong reasons. He left the Army in 1993, but uh, as far as 2010, where I'm able to find the most recent uh, mention of this story, he had not left the Hilltop neighborhood. As of 2009, at least, he apparently still lived at uh, 2319 South Ash. He had built additions to the house and, of course, repaired the bullet holes and broken windows. Folk stated, I like it here. I like this neighborhood. And again, the Seattle Times in 1998 reported one uh, resident saying, People aren't so afraid to let children play in the street anymore. It's opened up. Neighbors are getting to know neighbors. People are helping people. Now, on the one hand, as a dude, this story makes me kind of say, hell yeah. You know, it's a little bit Gran Torino. You, uh, you lock and load, and you shoot at the bad guys. And you take your neighborhood back by force. Well, at the same time, that is pretty reckless and irresponsible. Just go back. Blasting off in a neighborhood in the middle of the night. Well, not the middle of the night, but, you know, late at night. And shooting at people, and they're shooting back, and who knows who could be, you know, caught in the crossfire. And yet, you know, Bill Folk, maybe he, he fell on his sword a little bit, standing up for his neighborhood. And it seems as though the result was positive ultimately i mean you have police saying it was positive and you know go out maybe about a decade and it seems that the hilltop neighborhood was cleaned up you know it it cleaned up at least enough to not be horrifically terrifying right to not be overrun by drugs and gangs and thuggery and there's 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 kind of a, there's a lesson in here i don't know if i can really you know pluck it all out but part of the part of the demonstration i think that folk and his rangers uh you know displayed was using you know fighting fire with fire to a certain extent they're going to act like thugs and they're going to make threats and they're going to intimidate people in some if it wasn't them it was women and children and other residents you know but you're talking to, you know, you know when they're making threats to someone who's been in firefights, right? Uh, it's not so convincing. And so they came across some dudes that were tougher than them, that weren't afraid of them. And were willing to lock and load and return fire. In an organized sort of sense. As much as, an, I guess, any firefight can be organized. And in that specific instance, you know, you have to think about the context that it's happening in, right? That specific neighborhood and the layout is a certain way. And um, I'll try to post the pictures because I was trying to verify this story. And what I was able to find is that there's sort of that, you know, there's the legend, and then there's actual news stories. And then you actually find these, uh, look for some of these names. And... They have, you know, they have social media profiles and accounts and everything, and they yeah, they seem to be real people. Like the the story stands up; it holds water to a certain extent. So you go on Google Maps and you go to the Street View, and you can find these actual addresses, and it's very interesting to to see the um, you know the actual actual houses, and you kind of get a, a feel for the layout of the neighborhood, and. I think that in that specific context, those army rangers knew what they were doing. They understood what was at stake. They understood their uh, situation. They had a little bit of uh, doctrine as far as their conduct, right? Uh, they weren't looking to shoot at everybody. It was specifically, you know, gangbangers, right? And these, these hilltop Crips apparently have, uh, you know, suffered major decline ever since, you know, at least this this event and then the further community involvement by being emboldened by the actions of these rangers and so yeah i mean it's a balance right i mean on the one hand it's like a super hype kind of awesome story it's like you know Grand torino it's uh it's uh taking back the neighborhood right and then at the same time that's how bad it was right like, that was, it was that bad. I mean, you're talking about dudes who, again, have been in firefights. They're deciding, nah, we need to get armed and we need to be ready. Like, that's how bad it was. And they knew how bad it was because they, you know, they lived there. And, you know, luckily they were able to kind of pull off this uh, no, zero kill operation and at least, you know, at least have maybe a positive impact for. A decade maybe two you know who knows uh maybe maybe it could have kind of permanently change the neighborhood around and uh it's uh it makes you it makes you wonder what other bad neighborhoods in this country are like where gangs rule and there's all this violence and drive-by shootings and gangs and all this stuff there can't there aren't or there can't be or apparently there aren't you know heavily committed groups of equally armed and kind of equally dangerous men willing to stand up and push back against the thugs and the gangsters maybe if we had a little bit more of that Maybe things in places like Chicago or, you know, L.A., Detroit, maybe those things wouldn't be so out of hand. So anyways, uh, yeah, that's the Ash Street shootout story. Uh, Army Rangers versus gangsters. With enhanced uh, jiggy special effects for your, your for your enjoyment, and uh, w- welcoming myself back a little bit, I feel like I keep I keep delaying putting out new content, and I appreciate the uh, listeners' patience and everything else. But I know everybody's watching the presidential debates and the elections and all that stuff. So, uh, if you want to support the podcast because you really enjoyed this and it was very insightful, because of course it obviously was. Uh, head over to the, uh, well, the redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle style design store and purchase some, uh, original artwork by me on various swag to enhance your life with, uh, and adorn your life with beautiful artwork. And I get a portion of the proceeds, uh, or just head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple dollars and, uh, you'll be contributing to the podcast that way. Got some more, uh, some more good stuff lined up for you here in the next uh, couple weeks. And not all of it is as time-consuming as some of these are. So, again, I'm hoping to get more content to you faster, right? More quality, kind of try to maintain quality while bringing it to you faster. Because I appreciate you. You listen to me. No one else listens to me. Oh, uh, no one else does. I'm just kidding. I'm building my listener base, and you're a part of it, and I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Make sure to uh, share me around. Uh, find me on, rate me, and uh, <clears throat> let me articulate that. Rate, it's a T, not a P. Uh, rate me on uh, you know, iTunes and share me on SoundCloud. Leave me comments and uh, follow me on Twitter at K-Style Podcast. And uh, wait, I'm also on Stitcher and podcast addict. Podcast addict is a fantastic app to download, organize, sort, listen to, and playback your uh, your favorite podcasts, which of course Kyle style podcasts should be at the very top of the list, right? So, check me out on all these various platforms. I'm everywhere. Okay, you're running out of excuses to not listen to Kyle. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.